It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling welcome everyone to another edition of reliving the war the podcast where we go back and relive the monday night wars as it says on the tin my name is nims is joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler we are here live and exclusive for the gray wolf wrestling network and if you catch up on all of our episodes from dating to 1996 onwards at greywolfent.net. And Simon, I could tell you right now, this is a hell of a show because we're well into the Attitude Era. The Austin reign has started. And considering where we started this podcast when the WWE was in the doldrums, it's really amazing to see how far they've come. Absolutely. And it's all headlined by Steve Austin versus Dude Love. And most importantly... Mr. McMahon is the special guest referee. Mr. McMahon is no longer hiding his allegiance or just using the excuse of needing to be professional and what's in the best interest of the WWF. Vince McMahon is now outwardly evil and we are off to the races. Oh, it is crazy as well. So we have a great video intro package for Mr. McMahon's Utopia. And we're getting to the uh, the sort of era of pay-per-views where I can remember these so vividly because I don't know about you, Simon, but it, the minute the whole, you must conform, you must do this, you must do that, did like a memory unlock in your mind and you could just take yourself back to where you were when you watched this pay-per-view? Because that's what happened for me. For sure. This was an awesome pay-per-view intro. So like you were saying, the whole thing about you must conform and compliance, and this is Mr. McMahon's utopia. And it was all cut with shots of like Joseph Stalin and was really, really now nothing is subtle. Now, Mr. McMahon is an <laughs> evil dictator and that is the way we're going. And it was cut with all the great footage of, uh, you know, the Stooges. So now Patterson and Briscoe are a big part of this. Dude Love has sold out. And I think what was really cool, we actually saw footage of the first Austin McMahon match from Raw, which was a turning point and interesting uh, for our show, Reliving the War, where it's WWE versus WCW, that was the episode where WWE won the ratings again with yeah. that match. So this is a completely new era for the WWE. It's all about attitude now. That was the turning point and the end of the 83-week dominant run for WCW. But uh, on the topic of WCW, did you notice when they were panning through the crowd that there was a, there was a uh, poster with Brett on it, but it was his WCW press shot? No, I didn't. Why would that person bring that photo? It's so strange. And I loved it because the real dead giveaway that it's WCW Brett is always the little round John Lennon glasses that he seemed to wear back in that era. But um, look, we, we get to a sweeping shot. JR and King greet us as we also see the blimp. 
the one remnant of the in your house era that's still there. The little Castrol GTX blimp is still there, but we get to something else that's a remnant of the old school in your house era. And that is, of course, Sunny in um, accompanying LOD 2000, along with Darren Drozdov, who we all know as Droz, versus Eight Ball and Skull. And I got to say this it might be 1998, but LOD is still mega over. 100%. I feel like we called the, you know, the death of LOD being over a year ago or a, a year and a half ago. We kept saying, oh, this is probably it. And, you know, maybe they cool off here just because our memories have been, you know, sort of blurred by LOD 2000 and other reunions. But wow, at this point, May 98, LOD 2000 was a great idea and everybody was on board. I got to say, though, I don't know if Droz was ever going to be a good fit, um, but it's a, a strange collection for the LOD to now include Sonny and Droz. They definitely didn't need them. Not only that, too, but Droz really just stands out like a sore thumb here because he's just a dude. Like, he's not even attempting to try. Like, they made more of an effort with Heidenreich to make him fit the Road Warriors mold than they did with Droz. I think a little bit later on where they start incorporating the real-life troubles of Hawk with alcohol addiction, and then I think Droz does start dressing like a member when he starts replacing him. Uh, well, yeah, yeah it's, so it's still obviously very early days in this partnership. Uh, the goddamn DOA is still hanging around, eight ball and skull, and I couldn't believe it, but Brian Lee is still getting work <laughs> in 1998. Hey, we've already got rid of Crush. He's done and dusted. We just need to get rid of uh, Chains here now. But um, I'll tell you, it, what I thought was really interesting was JR running through the complete AWA, NWA, and WWF tag team history off the LOD, obviously he leaves out WCW, but this was a, as an opener, it was a sp- bit of a ho-hum match. It was just basically let the LOD do their things because the Harris twins, one, you can't tell them apart, and two, they just sucked the energy out of the room. Yeah, absolutely. Luckily, the crowd was still into this because even when the match slowed down, and it did slow down quite often, <laughs> the crowd would just come back with LOD chance. They really wanted to just see LOD do anything. You know, at one point, Hawk no-sells a pile driver as he always does. And there were some okay moments, but every time it started to heat up, it would just grind to a halt. And nobody was there for that. DOA were never a threat. Nobody sees them as a challenge to LOD. And yeah, aside from the crowd chanting LOD, there was nothing to this match. To the point where it even got where Sonny and Droz would actually sort of gesture to the crowd, come on, LOD, LOD. And the crowd seemed like, yep, you know what? We need to do something to get us us involved in this match too. Uh, the, The thing that I also missed from this era, well, not missed, but I completely sort of forgot about, JR's obsession with mentioning football credentials. <laughs> the amount of football credentials, it's like even if you ran water for, say, I don't know, the Jacksonville Jaguars or whatever the, whatever the hell team it was, JR would mention it back in that era. That's what he does now. And you know what? We've heard like people like Bruce Pritchard say they weren't the biggest fan of it. I think in this era, Vince McMahon is no longer on the table. So JR is just taking initiative and he's like, oh, well, if the old man isn't listening, time to talk (laughs) about some football. Because, yeah, I noticed it throughout this show. He was really ramping it up to the point of 
being uh you know a cliche that it would become yeah. it was like special comments on espn that's how many he was uh throwing in but uh we quickly get to our next segment which is the rock the rock comes out he's 50 would you say that he's like pretty much 90 percent complete to the the rock that we know and love at the moment oh, i think he's so close now because his music has changed slightly so now he's got the one with the uh, sound bite at the start saying, do you smell what the rock is cooking? The music is that, you know, heel singles rock version. Yeah. Um, the it's, hybrid. Got, it's got the other talking bits throughout the song, you know, the rock sling, the smackdown and just little yeah. spoken word, massive Rocky sucks chance. My God, he was over and the crowd <laughs> wanted to kill him. Uh, great sign in the crowd said Farouk, Farouk, Farouk is on fire. So. <laughs> That's so good. That's awesome. They should have um, put that on a t-shirt. They really should have. Uh, yeah, The Rock comes out and just does the usual insulting of the Milwaukee women and says the reason that they all drink beer is because the women are so ugly. And then <laughs> to come out and defend the honor of Milwaukee is Farouk, who still has his nation attire, which is so awkward. Oh, yeah, you know, any time a tag team breaks up, 90% of the time, if one member keeps the team's clothing, it doesn't work out. Yep. And I'm going to yep. put the, the Farouk into that file here. He comes out, he attacks the rock. The rock swings a chair and he does that classic thing where he hits the ropes and it bounces back and hits him in the head. And then Farouk pile drives him. And then from this fun segment, it turns into dead serious. Mm. where the nation comes out and there's a stretcher and they're worried about the rock's neck. Um, it's, this was it's, weird. It's done so like to the point where the, any you think that you've just witnessed like Austin at SummerSlam 97. That's how they sell it. Oh, well, adding to that tastelessness, Owen Hart is now a member of the nation. So he's out there <laughs> saying, oh, his neck's broken. Get a doctor. It's just, yeah. Speaking of Stone Cold Steve Austin, we get to a interview that he does backstage with Michael Cole. And this is one of my favorite things because Cole basically asked Austin, you know, this could be the last time that, you, that you're the champion. Do you reckon that'll happen? And Steve says something along the lines of, hell no, you silly bastard. <laughs> it's such a good little backstage thing. And it really sort of like Stone Cold is fully steering into this character of his now. And it looks like he's absolutely loving life as well, don't you think? Yeah, this was a fun promo backstage and just shoving Michael Cole at the end as well. Like he's offended that he would ask him, you know, such a silly question that he might lose or whatever. And yeah, cuts a promo on him, shoves him. And Michael Cole was just everybody's punching bag in this era. It was really good to see. And uh, speaking of punching bags, we get to our next match, which is Jeff Jarrett versus Steve Blackman. I don't remember Tennessee Lee being this much of a thing back in the day. Like, did I just blank that out of my mind? Or is this... It's weird. Jeff Jarrett's WWE return in this era is really strange because if we think about it, he jumped from WCW as, you know, the old Jeff Jarrett with the straps, with the buffy hair. He had um, Deborah with him. He was kind of a horseman. He wasn't. We ran through all of that. I never want to relive it again. All the Mongo (laughs) matches. Anyway, he he jumped to WWE and was a completely different person. He straightened his hair. He was wearing different gear. He was serious. He was saying that, oh, he's here to take over the WWE and he's disgusted by Steve Austin and 
this and that. He's a serious wrestler. There was none of the country singer stuff. They did that for what? I don't know, two or three months and it just didn't take. So yeah. then they went right back to 1994, Jeff Jarrett. They gave him the old clothing back. They gave him the guitar back. They started telling you he was a country singer again. And then, I don't know, I guess they saw Tennessee Lee in WCW with um, Harlem Heat and Jeff Jarrett and they brought him back into it. I think we all remember Don't Piss Me Off crew cut yep. guitar swinging on women, Jeff Jarrett, that this is just like um, testing the waters. None of this counts for Jeff. You know, yeah. you know, when we start to see the Jarrett we remember in WWE, SummerSlam 98, when he loses the hair match to X-Pac. Yeah, and right now we're just in that holding pattern because he's still wearing the old sort of gladiator JJ jacket that he had in his return. So Yeah, they, they put, it's just a mishmatch of, you know, he must have thought he was coming into the WWE and things were really going to take off when he <laughs> cut that shoot promo. And then supposedly Austin heard it and was like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, it's a no from me is basically (laughs) what Austin would have had to say. But uh, And if you want to hear Jeff Jarrett talk about it in depth for three hours, make sure you get up, listen to the My World episode with uh, him and Conrad Thompson. But one thing that I always find interesting is like Steve Blackman's theme, before he had the the sort of cool one uh, that's used in like SmackDown 2, it's the most generic creator wrestler theme song you'll ever hear. Oh, yeah. It sounds like every guy who ever lost a match on Heat or whatever. It's just <laughs> just crap. Because you know yeah. what? He's got the sticks here for the intro. And mm. I remember him with the sticks and the cool drum music. The one that yeah. everyone remembers. And then they would add to the, the beat. Yeah. lights. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. Um, so even for Blackman, things work out better for him later. <laughs> when, when you're in a match, like out of Steve, Steve Blackman, and Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, with all the history and lineage of his family name and being involved in the business, when Steve Blackman can arguably be in a better off position than you are, that says a lot about you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, there's a lot to Blackman here. Now, something, is this a retcon? Uh, because I don't remember it back in the day and I haven't looked into it too much, but they mentioned that Steve Blackman was trained in the dungeon by Stu Hart and JR when it says, you know, oh, the late Brian Pillman used to always go and tell me about this guy and stuff like that. Do you, is that just a, a bit of salt and pepper that they've sprinkled in here? Or Because I don't remember that ever happening. That might be JR just putting some, maybe some realism into this. Because mm-hmm. I think the way the story goes is that Steve Blackman had been wrestling for years, but then he got injured and, you know, missed what could have been his prime and then came back to wrestling. And then the way they debuted him was guy in the crowd who knows karate and stands up for America. And then, you know, kind of debuts around Survivor Series or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's JR just, yeah, retconning the origin story and just telling you the truth. I don't know if he actually trained in the Heart Dungeon. That bit took me by surprise as well. But clearly he's had some wrestling training. It's the same with Ken Shamrock, but with Shamrock, they would never, um, never expose it. He had pro wrestled before he ultimate fought. You yeah, know, he was a pro wrestler. He had a different name. You know, I think he used his real name or whatever. But that's not a fun story. It's better to say he's an ultimate fighter and look at how he's picked up pro wrestling, you know. On the topic of um, Ken Shamrock, though, he's on the poster for Over the Edge 1998 and nowhere to be seen on the card. So yeah, strange. what's up with that? I was looking forward to some, you know, Ken Shamrock. He's been a, a highlight. 
He really has too. Uh, like, and you forget however he was back then. But um, look, there's another little interesting tidbit here, and this is a fairly nothing match to be quite honest. Um, another little interesting tidbit that I saw was Al Snow was out there. He was at the Spanish announce team. He had head with him, and they sort of brushed over it fairly quickly as well. Yeah, so Al Snow here is trying to get a meeting with Vince McMahon, and he thinks that Jerry Lawler knows Vince, so Jerry Lawler will get him a meeting with Vince. So he's trying to sneak into the show. So not only was he on the Spanish announce team, he was wearing a poncho and a sombrero, and Head was wearing a sombrero as well. <laughs> All very silly, terrible Al Snow stuff. Um, the only good bit about this match, though, was the opening 20 seconds. They brawled to the outside, and Steve Blackman military pressed Jeff Jarrett and threw him back into the ring, <laughs> then got up onto each turnbuckle and did like two cross bodies. So Steve Blackman did all of his best stuff in the span of 20 seconds. And uh, unfortunately couldn't get the chocolates there because Jeff Jarrett got the win. But the one thing that I did love was JR calling the kendo stick martial arts sticks. <laughs> yeah, those martial arts sticks. That's all he could call them. <laughs> It was great. Um, our next match is Mark Merrow versus Sable. Now, the the thing that I found interesting, so the, the storyline here is Mark Merrow, they go through the raw recap that Mark Merrow says to Sable, find someone that will fight for your honor sort of thing so you can, I, so you can be released from my clutches, so to speak. And JR, in this point in time, is some real mean gene level of, uh, you know, distraction because he's like i saw the undertaker backstage will the undertaker fight for sable is like no mate he's never going to be doing that (laughs) and uh, so basically they get into the ring both of sable massively over hugely over she's clearly one of the biggest stars in this era next to austin and i don't think that's a that's a fair i don't think i'm exaggerating when i say that either no not at all they went crazy for sable because This was a good twist to the story as well, because, you know, Sable didn't go and find someone to fight. She found herself. And, you know, the point was, she said, you know, if anyone's going to get her out of this situation, she's going to do it herself, which really for 1998 pro wrestling, that's kind of a progressive, you know, kind of idea there. And Sable's going to fight for her own rights. And it's a great story. Um, yeah, fun segment here though because the recap was great um, again it's all about like Sable getting freedom and she no longer has to work for Mark Mero Mark Mero cuts a promo at the start of this match <laughs> sort of trying to say that you know he's sympathetic now and you know he's gonna do the right thing Mark Mero is a heel I feel like there was something there and we didn't get its full potential no we really didn't and so basically he says, you know, like Sable, I didn't realize how much it meant to you, bloody, bloody blood to get away from my clutches. So I'm going to do the right thing. So he does his best Jeff Jarrett at Bash of the Beach 2000 sort of lays flat in the middle of the ring, but then reverses it into his own pinfall. And Sable is gone from the WWF. He jumps around and just celebrates like he's just won an Olympic gold medal, Kurt Angle style. And Sable is done. Sable is gone from the WWF forever. And then she farewells the WWF fan and Jerry Lawler is distraught. I should also point out as well. (laughs) Jerry Lawler is upset by not being able to see Sable every week, but Mark Merrow's performance here, jumping up, 
he even gets back on the the mic and gets the crowd to sing the na 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 goodbye <laughs> song and some of them take the bait and they sing it to stable and she's just so sad just leaving the arena she's been embarrassed by her husband or ex-husband i don't know what he is at this point but mark Mero, an absolute piece of trash he was fantastic here marvelous mark Mero, as you said is completely underrated and uh they had a gold mine there. They should have just stuck with him instead of going for the whole wild man BS. They should go straight, <laughs> straight to Marvelous. Um, Doc Hendricks is then, uh, we crossed the Doc Hendricks in the locker room with the Nation of Domination. This is a hilarious backstage segment because The Rock's sitting there in a neck brace. The entire nation's fussing around. They're all screaming through. D'Lo is the best. Like, squeeze my hand, Rock. Squeeze my hand. <laughs> Yeah, and The Rock's face here, he's basically rolling his eyes into the back of his head. He's like, oh, he's completely out of it. And it's good. You know what? I think we've said it before. Like, this is the nation. Once they got rid of Farouk, they are so much better. It's, it's like they have better chemistry without Farouk. Like, he was the annoying old guy just ruining their vibe. He doesn't get any of their jokes. And now that Farouk's gone, they can have fun. Even adding Owen to it, it's just all good now it, it's brilliant and uh, now the out of this entire little charade is um doc Hendricks has revealed that if the rock doesn't defend his title tonight he will be stripped of it and it will be awarded to farouk which is great um our next match is a bonus match they even say it's a bonus match for you it's kai and tai with finaki and dick togo and the other guy whose name i didn't quite pick up at the time versus bradshaw and takamichinoku which is a team that i have completely removed from my mind that even existed until I saw this. And I got to say, like, first off, the, the couple of things that I was pleased at is the King was less racist than I thought he was going to be. <laughs> and secondly, Bradshaw's freaking football stats are mentioned immediately. <laughs> well, what else is JR going to talk about? I will say, I do remember this because I rewatched this era of Raw not too long ago. So Bradshaw was trying to teach the young Tucker about American values. And they did oh vignettes where like um, Bradshaw took Tucker to a bar and he taught Tucker how to drive, but Tucker doesn't know. And he hit reverse instead of accelerate. And I don't know, wacky shenanigans. Um, I feel like it would have worked with modern Bradshaw because, you know, Bradshaw, once he joined the APA, he kind of accepted the comedy and all that because he is entertaining. Yep. But back here, it, you were like, aren't you Justin Hawk? Like, why are you telling jokes? Yep. Not a fit. Not a good fit. Not only that, too. I, I, half, I half reckon that those vignettes were just basically exactly what Bradshaw was doing backstage at the time. <laughs> and they just like, you need camera. to be, yeah, you need to be more American. Stop <laughs> eating your stupid sushi. You know, um, it would have been better just thinking about it now because Bradshaw just came off the new Blackjacks, you know, with, um, uh, what was Blackjack Bradshaw? Bodacious. No, that's, <laughs> no, no, that's, Black... the, that's the new Midnight Express. Blackjack Wyndham. It was Barry yeah. Wyndham filling in. Hmm. They shouldn't have said anything. They should have kept him as Blackjack uh, Bradshaw and just had <laughs> Blackjack Tucker <laughs> and just put Tucker <laughs> in the stirrups and the cowboy hat. That would have been a gold mine. I'm surprised Vince Russo didn't do that. I'm shocked that That's Vince so Russo good. didn't do that. Now I especially, want that. Especially since... Um, uh, Bradshaw was still at his blackjacks yeah, as well. Exactly. God, it would have been good. Oh, but uh, so the thing that caught me by surprise was how well Bradshaw actually worked with the smaller dudes. And um, 
It was kind of cool that JR brought up some uh, Michinoku pro history between Kai and Tai and uh, Taka Michinoki. Like, JR was in this era really trying his best to make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? Because he's like, you know, oh, Kai and Tai and Taka Michinoki, they used to wrestle together back in the day, but then then Taka got all Americanized and they're here to, like, you know, straighten him out. And the line there that they're talking about, like how Kai and Tai are dressed like Japanese street punks. They kept saying it, Japanese street punks. These guys are a gang. They were dressed like anyone. Yes. <laughs> Just wearing oh. denim shorts and T-shirts. It's crazy, crazy. But um, uh, the, the other part that I did find amusing that I had to note, because this was a fairly inoffensive match. I'm not going to tell you to go out of your way and watch it because that's not what this era was about. Um, JR King starts talking about Sable and Sonny and all this, and then JR just basically snaps and says, King, you're a lonely man and you need some couch time. <laughs> yes, I forgot that JR would do that sometimes and call him a lonely man. Very good. It's, it's just so well done. I will say, but, uh, I zoned yeah. out during this match, though. There were points of it where between JR's football stats and talking about street punks and whatever i was just like nah i'm gone yeah i'm like i'm checked out this is done so kai and tai wins uh they get a sent on and in hindsight all i could think of is like did bradshaw get in the ring because i don't remember bradshaw getting in the ring i remember he, him catching shofunaki he got in the ring so right at the end and what was hilarious about it dick togo did his massive sent on on tataka Bradshaw was standing not even a foot away from them and just didn't break it up. I think even he was like, ah, let's just wrap it Look, up. I'm done here. This is a bonus match. I wasn't even going to wrestle tonight. Um, we cut to Sable with her uh, like carry-on luggage leaving the arena. Still in her ring gear, which I thought was interesting. In her ring gear, carrying her luggage and what looked to be a lunchbox or a toolbox, <laughs> she was just sadly walking away. But what was funny about it, it felt like the director would have said to her, okay, Sable, you know, we're going to say action and we're going to film you walking. So just, just start walking. But she couldn't walk naturally. Like yeah. her walking looked forced. It, it really did, didn't it? It's like she just learned how to walk. Yeah, like they told her to walk sad and she yeah. thought that had to be a walk other than just walking normally. Even yeah. though she was shot from behind, we can't see a space sable, just walk. But she couldn't just walk. Yeah, it very much looked like how George Michael on Arrested Development would walk when he was sad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so then we get ourselves one of those WWF Attitude commercials and it's it was at this point in time when they cut to Shawn Michaels in there that I'm just like, oh my God, Shawn is like such a little part after like getting them through the bad times of 96 and 97 that Shawn is absolutely zero, zero uh, player in the actual Attitude Era. You forget about that so much, don't you? They scaled him back. He's still in the ad. I think they thought he was going to return at some point because even in commentary, JR says, oh, you know, the heartbreak kid, he's watching in San Antonio. Hopefully we'll see him back soon. Like, yeah, you're they right. would not have thought that he was going to be gone for longer than a few months. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right there, especially since, like, this is the era where you'd still pump a couple of Vicodins and pain pills and just wrestle to the pain. Yeah. Um, we get to, finally, Farouk versus The Rock, and Farouk comes out in nation gear, but to the weirdest music ever. I've never heard it in my life. Like, I, I have... And I'm a theme aficionado. Like, I love WWF themes. Like, I could tell you each rock theme that he's had from his first Rocky Maivia one up to the, the current If You Smell 
Hollywood rock incarnation. But man, I don't recall. I Farouk's as a single star pre APA. Is that much of a blip on the radar of irrelevance? Is that this just basically sums it up? I thought it was really cool that The Rock got introduced a couple of times to no entrance until Sergeant Slaughter comes out, though. Yeah, Sergeant Slaughter came out and he said, You know, Rock, if you don't come out by the count of 10, we're going to strip you of the title. So Rock eventually comes out. He's in the neck brace. He seems fine. And then they just start brawling on the outside. And then, you know, they kind of go for it from there. It is weird seeing Farouk as a singles guy with the generic hip hop theme and challenging for the intercontinental title. Like, I don't know. He just, he doesn't fit him and Bradshaw. Obviously the APA was the best thing to ever happen to them because right here, it could go either way for either guy. You could just fire them both and it wouldn't have made a difference in May, 1998. They're still in that weird purgatory there. But um, so Sergeant Slaughter has the most rambling promo and uh, he says, you know, he gives The Rock to the count of 10. The Rock eventually comes out with three and the match sort of starts. One little thing that, uh, is this the first time that we see The Rock remove the elbow pad for the people's elbow? On pay-per-view, for sure. He takes the elbow pad off. He does the full people's elbow and gets a nice reaction for it. I think the yeah. crowd, like now that they've seen him do it a few times, whatever this silly thing is that he's doing, they're on board with it. Very much so. Now, this is a very much a short but sweet match. The Rock gets the win with his feet on the ropes. Uh, there is a post-match beatdown by Farouk, which then leads to the nation coming out to give their own beatdown. And then, which was slightly unexpected for me until I realized where I was in the timeline, DX comes out for the save to save Farouk. Well, I don't, think, D- yeah. I don't think DX came out to save Farouk. They came out to beat up the nation. This is true. And JR even does the the typical JR thing, which most famously he did when Austin um, rescued Stephanie McMahon. You know, it's like, I don't think there's any love for Farouk, but DX hate the nation. <laughs> yeah, which which I think is good to establish some logic that, you know, they haven't just suddenly changed everything they think about these people. Um, but the, look, that was the highlight, to be honest. I, you know, everybody loved face DX. Let's not lie. Um, I've got a place in my heart for the original, the trio version, just China, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. But DX's faces, that's kind of the DX most people remember. So they're in full force here. Uh, a great moment in the show. A kind of an interesting match because it felt like at the end they're still going to run with Farouk. Um, oh, like, yeah. you know, getting some heat at the end with more pile drivers. Like it was going to lead to a pile driver match. You know, or he's trying like to that, break yeah. the rock's neck. Um, I'm pretty sure they get away from it fairly quick and just give up on Farouk. Somebody probably rewatched that match and said, yeah, it's a no from us. <laughs> and, and honestly, I think there's money in, obviously, as we would see, DX versus The Nation. The Nation, yeah. So, sorry, Farouk, you're being replaced by Triple H. <laughs> also, shout out to the guy in the crowd. He walked past and got his sign in shot because he walked the whole distance. It said Goldberg effing sucks but the effing <laughs> was literally f star c k i n so he got that one into the arena and walked it past well done censored i like to see that at the end <laughs> yeah, of the studio. Himself. <laughs> uh, our next match is kane versus vader and this has uh it's a it's billed as a match of monsters basically uh which it kind of is vader still has a little bit of currency here i reckon but at, when you get to the match it is all kane it is Kane, Kane, Kane. Vader is 
as I said, a shell of himself a little bit, but he's still in relatively good shape. Like when you think of like, oh, he was so fat and out of shape back then. It's not like indie indie wrestling Vader. Yeah, no, I thought, I think we've mentioned that, that Vader has had more good matches than we expected through this run. Yeah. Uh, and also consistently over, especially as a face. I really didn't expect that looking back at it. When they turned Vader, I thought, oh, yeah, the crowd probably barely cared about him. Man, they're into it. Even here, he got a really good ovation uh, going into the match. Really did too. Uh, this is a match that Kane really needed to because because uh, that run with the bloody Undertaker, it just it's it's done. It's 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 back to back pay per views with the Undertaker now, isn't it? Yeah, they did Mania and the Inferno match, so it was good that they you know pulled away for a little bit. Yeah, really, really good there too. Uh, Kane Kane dodges the moonsault, which is kind of cool with the little Undertaker sit up. So Vader still has it as he sort of said. Um, Pinfall gets the win to Tombstone Vader as well. Did look impressive because Vader's still that big imposing sort of figure. He's he they gets the pinfall victory and then post match strips the mask off Vader and hands it to Paul Bearer in one of the funniest little post match exchanges I've ever seen, where Paul Bearer starts going, "It's time, it's Paul <laughs> Bearer time." He does the Vader dance like the Vader taunt on a fallen Vader while wearing the mask. Yeah, I had that down too as a note. The highlight of the show so far, Paul Bearer doing the Vader dance. Absolutely amazing. Do you have a feeling that Paul Bearer has always wanted to do that, but Leon was just like, nah, man, no one messes with my mask. Don't do it. Like, come on, just let, I just want to try it for a little bit. Now he's like, ah, take that. Yeah. Um, post-match, this is, the, this is probably, unfortunately, one of the most famous uh, interviews that Vader ever did. For the WWF, because this is a soundbite that he still replayed ad nauseum to this day in 2022, where he talks to Michael Cole and he basically just, you know, runs himself down saying, oh, I've let myself go. I've done this. I've done that. And that famous line of, I'm just a fat piece of shit, which yeah. unfortunately is what his entire run is defined on. And as we've <laughs> sort of, as we've, as we've gathered, like you just said then, it was so much more than that. But I think because of that promo, it's been retconned into our brains that oh yeah he was awful in wwf 1997 yeah that's all we think oh yeah he had a bad run he was overweight he couldn't have a good match and then he called himself a big fat piece of shit but no the matches were good even this match was good um it was a fun brawl honestly this was the match of the night so far uh i thought it was great you know there was a lot on the line mask versus mask uh, two big guys just going for it. I thought it was great. And I would say so far, the only match worth re-watching. WWF did the big men, the big monster matches great. Mm. Like you can't say that like they were streets ahead of WCW in terms of when they get two big dudes to go uh, one-on-one with each other. Speaking of which, the momentum is just absolutely killed in the next segment because we've got another one of these stupid legend segments. Michael Cole comes out, introduces Mad Dog Vachon and the Crusher. And to say that they ramble is an understatement. My God. Mad Dog Vachon is barely coherent, talking about how Luna Vachon's not his daughter, but she could be my daughter. Like, oh, what are you talking about, old man? It's it's awful. Yeah, it was odd. They wanted to pay tribute to local legends. We saw them do this at Bad Blood. And it feels like a really strange fit in this era of the WWE where everything's cutting edge and looking to the future and it's all about attitude. And and especially with, you know, continuing 
continuing to expand globally and becoming more popular this is such a localized thing you know legends of milwaukee like and putting this on pay-per-view just an odd thing and you know um i don't know anything about the crusher aside from things that i've heard or read i will say he did look pretty cool he's this big barrel chested old man just chewing a cigar and wearing aviator sunnies the crusher (laughs) at least looked like you know the prototype of the apa like the apa want to be the crusher when they grow up and then then jerry lawler gets involved part of me likes to think that he he was just sick of this segment as much as everyone else was and just came in there to cause some trouble. But he then gets involved by, uh, he gets to Matt, Mad Dog Vachon and then tries to take off his wooden leg. And it's just, it gets a little bit amusing because the crusher then takes out King with Vachon's wooden leg. So that's then, the highlight of it. What was weird about this segment too. So when King gets in, he goes to grab the leg, but he can't pull it off. So the crusher uppercuts King and then King leaves. You think that's the end of the segment, but then King's like, no, I want more. Then he goes in the ring, then pulls the leg off, then Crusher gets it, then Crusher hits him. I don't know if King like was meant to yank it off the first time and Crusher punched him too early. And then King was like, oh, no, I better go and get the leg. It'll make for a better visual. It almost felt (laughs) like they redid it on the spot. All very odd, all very strange. Very strange extremely strange but then that leads us thankfully with a nice little palate cleanser of dx versus the nation now d generation x are in full baby face mode triple h does the full let's get ready to suck it and all that sort of stuff too road dog has got the nation uh the new age outlaws spiel down to an absolute t this is the it's the new age outlaws that we know and love it's the dx that we know and love as well and i this is when I have memories of DX. This is the DX that I remember. Yeah, babyface DX. They're all kind of perfect. Everyone's got their role here. And I'm pretty sure Triple H was doing his Are You Ready promo for the first time on a pay per view. And that yeah. becomes such a big part of the act as well. This all worked so quickly from being, you know, the main heels in the company and terrorizing Steve Austin and The Undertaker to becoming this popular with not really changing anything. Obviously, Sean's not there, but people just love DX. They were starting to get uh, some cheers anyway. And thank God for this match too, because I think this really kicked up the show leading into the main event as well. This was great. Probably the, um, aside from the main event, the next best match, a great six man. And we've mentioned before that the nation have had a lot of fun tag team and six man Mm. matches. The only bad one was last month. They made up for it here. Uh, Who did we have? We had D'Lo, Owen and the Godfather. Adding Owen Hart to the nation really (laughs) helps with the match quality too. And D'Lo's coming into his own and, you know, Godfather does his thing. This was a lot of fun. It also continues on with uh, Triple H and Owen's little program too. It sort of weaves that in nicely yeah. too. The roles are reversed, obviously. Now Triple H is the face and and um, Owen's the heel. Did you also pick up too how, because I, I know I think I noticed this more than once, but JR mentioned how Karma is called the godfather in the, in the locker room. Did you pick up on that one? Oh, no, I didn't. But that's a good way of subtle, subtly planting those seeds, seeds without just saying, Oh, we call him the Godfather now. They're trying to establish that's his nickname backstage. They're starting to use it on camera. 
Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So there's it's it's only sprinkling a couple of times. Uh, there's another great line too, where uh, Jr. mentioned King talks about China's back, and then it gets into uh, <laughs> then it goes and says, "I don't know how big her back is, King, or her front for that matter." <laughs> um, there is a very lonely cool old little- man. There's a very cool spike spike pile driver spot on D'Lo. D'Lo is said to be the 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 weak link in this thing, but it Owen gets the win with a pedigree of his own on Triple H, who does it onto the belt. It's it's such a good match. Like you said, this is one of those ones. Look, it's not Canadian Stampede levels of awesome, but it's still a damn good one for that era. Yeah, so much fun. And you know what? There are certain wrestlers who just work better as heels or faces seeing the new age outlaws here as faces makes way more sense their moves just work better as good guys some guys are just like that and even triple h here this is the first match we're seeing triple h wrestle as a face and i think he's kind of underrated uh wrestling as a good guy you know his movesets a lot of fun he's a big powerful guy and it all works and they kept this moving fast paced six man you can't really go wrong and like you said the screwy ending with the titles and not knowing who's going to get the advantage was really good. Done superbly. And when we talk about Triple H's face run, it's it's fascinating to find out how short it was when you think about it because WrestleMania, WrestleMania 15 is where he turns heel. I know. I was thinking about that. Isn't it interesting? DX kind of turned face uh, in, what, April 98 at some point on TV. And then they're yeah. heels again by April 99. Or they well, kind they, of don't exist anymore. Yeah, they don't exist because uh, Billy Gunn turns on Road Dog, and Triple H turns on um, X Park. On X Park and joins the corporation. No, China's the first to join the corporation. Remember? Yeah. And it's such, and then yeah, because it's, it's basically just Road Dog, X Park, and Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of using the DX attire and music, but then yeah. DX reunite as heels later on during the McMahon Helmsley era. And you know what? Have a longer run than most people remember. They're the main event heels for a pretty long stretch on Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, a good chunk of late 99. No, yeah, mid 99. Survivor Series 99 up until like WrestleMania 2000 and beyond. They are the prominent heels. So yeah, Yeah. you're you're spot on there. So let's get straight to the main event. Uh, We get a, a quick little recap of the lead up to the, what led us to Austin versus Dude Love. And I got to say, watching these little clips from Monday Night Raw, geez, wasn't Raw just like balls to the wall stuff back in the day? Yeah. By the recaps, you can see that, you know, the four weeks between a pay-per-view, something big happened on every single episode. Very much so. Like there's so much, there is so much to take in. And the highlights of, I've written this down here. Highlights of the Raws from Unforgiven till now is that's something that WWE still to this day do. And we've been fairly critical of other wrestling companies, even WCW and to this day, AEW, if not filling in the blanks of people that might not have watched the pay-per-view, but the WWE, even in this era, have nailed it to a tease. You could, you're caught up. You're brought up to speed of everything that's happened here. Yeah, well, I didn't have you know access to watch the episodes of Raw in full in this era. So for me, the video packages were the only thing I had to go by as to tell me what happened on Raw. And yeah, like you said, they explain it to you. Even if you didn't see every week, if you wanted to know what happened in this main event, 
leading up to it, that video package shows it all, or at least, you know, everything you need to know to be invested. Yeah, it's crazy. We get to uh, a little pre-tape beforehand. Um, um, Vince McMahon is there with the Stooges and they interview Doc Hendricks. Now, here's here's the interesting thing too. Remember, Vince McMahon says that the match will only end by his hand only, which is a nice little pr- uh, for, foreshadowing of what's going to happen. But very cool. They they go to this level of throwing in little Easter eggs like that to set up what's going to be a finish. Yeah, I love the level of detail in this era with these feuds. As silly as it could get, there were all there always these little things that you would be rewarded for paying attention to. And that was one of them. And also, shout out to Vince McMahon for rocking the now iconic sleeveless special <laughs> referee shirt. Because I think for a lot of people, myself included, we didn't realize what Vince looked like under a suit. We just thought, oh, it's just this normal middle-aged yeah. guy. Yeah. And when you see him here, it's not that he got super buff. He's always been super buff. <laughs> he just covers it up. It's hilarious. He would, and what's crazy too, this is 98. I don't know how old he is, but he's almost even more jacked 10 years after this. Like I know. Pushing it. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, Pat Patterson gets a hell of an intro from Howard Finkel, which I got to mention as he introduces the timekeeper. And then he gets. <laughs> He gives an extended intro for Gerald Briscoe and Vince McMahon. It's so well done. Just the crowd hates it. Absolutely. And good hates as well. Like they're oh. really buying it. It's so good. They drag this out. They want the crowd to be as angry as possible. These introductions are ridiculous. Talking about how, you know, Pat Patterson was a great man who's done all of these things and he loves children and, he won, he won the Intercontinental Championship in a grueling tournament in Rio. <laughs> and JR just goes, wink, wink. You know? and it's all stupid. And Patterson talks about Briscoe being a, a great Native American and yes. this and that. And they just drain it as long as possible. It was great. You forget about the Stooges being a big part of this era. And, and what's kind of funny, because we, we mentioned before, with the Milwaukee legends, how it feels out of place because the WWE is about the future now. Patterson and Briscoe, their primes were 20 years before this and they've become main characters again. It is kind of fun. Yeah. More people actually remember them from the runners, the Stooges, than they do as their actual wrestling sort of thing, which is amusing to me. Um, All that builds up though. The minute the glass shatters, the crowd goes ape. And I thought it was a nice touch that they keep throwing back to that this is the same place where Austin won King of the Ring back in 1996. He does the full spiel, the full intro, and then The Undertaker comes out. And um, he's basically there as, like, he just talked about an easy paycheck for The Undertaker. All he he does is, one, best seat in the house, and two, very minimal work. Just stands around because, again, again, they planted the seeds, and that was great. Is anyone going to watch to make sure that Vince McMahon, you know, calls this down the line and Austin doesn't get screwed? Austin says no one told him. He doesn't know if anyone's coming and he doesn't care. Well, The Undertaker's music hit as a nice surprise. And honestly, just in terms of the intro pop, I don't know who got a better ovation, Austin or yep. The Undertaker. It might have been The Undertaker because of the the shock value. Yeah. It's uh, now this. I, I don't really have too many notes because I was too busy enjoying this match. But it is such a good match. Mick Foley, as do as corporate dude love, underrated as a character. Like this should be the definitive dude love. I know we all remember him 
tag teaming with Austin um, as the main sort of dude love memory, but it really should be corporate dude love because he's doing the best work of his career here. Oh, yeah. And corporate dude love would give way to, you know, corporate mankind. And that's kind of the most famous mankind. This was, yeah, a huge step of it. And maybe people overlook this transition period. But these two matches he has with Steve Austin really cement Austin as like the guy in the WWE. And they have two absolute brutal wars in the process. Like what a great fun match this one was. So the action spills to the outside. It gets really brutal. And then just out of nowhere, um, it's announced that this will be a no DQ match, which is great because JR's outrage when they start adding stipulations <laughs> is phenomenal. I love it. He's just, hey, he's going to burst a blood vessel. That's how, that's how annoyed he gets. Yeah. He's like, oh, what, what, you know, you know, he didn't do this. And, and King would always say, no, no. This is just a reminder, you know, <laughs> yeah. this, these were always the rules. This is just a reminder. And they would say that on the, um, on the call when they would add to the stipulations, just classic heel stuff and just adding to the, you know, craziness of the whole match. Mick Foley is also the perfect guy to do this match on because he takes some sick bumps. The minute they announce it's a no DQ match, there's a part where he's perched on the guardrail and Austin gives him the most vicious clothesline you'll ever see. He almost goes like a full 360 and lands on his back on the concrete outside. It's just a balls to the wall sort of match. The, I the had to rewind in- that spot hmm. three times because when Austin clotheslines him over, there is a horrific scream. And I thought, what on earth was that sound? <laughs> it's JR. JR oh. just literally just screams because I think from his vantage point and even just watching it on camera, it looks like Mick Foley landed straight on his head and could have died. And yeah, yeah, just a blood curdling scream from JR. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And then they, they brawl their way to the entranceway and the entranceway is just a bunch of cars. Like, Mm. it's just like, it's like they've gone to the local wrecker, the Briscoe brothers body shop, if you will. And have just decided to start, you know, making cars for the set which is kind of cool because the entranceway is two cars like sort of propped up with their wheels like facing outwards which is really cool they start fighting on the cars and stuff like that and then it's announced that this match is now a false count anywhere match and again jr is so angry he just goes since when since when <laughs> and king once again they're just reminding you jr it's always been part of this such a good dynamic but man do they brawl on the entranceway stone cold even takes a couple of pretty stiff bumps as well for a guy that's got a dodgy neck and a dodgy back well you kind of see why yeah they go for it here austin hits like a stun gun to foley on the car then oh at one point austin slides off a car that they were on and dude hits a sunset flip off the car onto austin which is just ridiculous you wouldn't expect it from uh from guys this size in this era they just go for it it's good uh some insane spots they end up getting back and throughout this entire time vince is trying to do a cheap pin every single time they make their way back to the ring and uh, it's kind of cool too because austin gets the upper hand and vince doesn't count the pin and austin loses his mind but keeps it composed and that's one of my favorite sort of austin things where he realizes like you know oh yeah you're outsmarting me this time vince but it's such a good little sort of uh chain of events 
And we also see Vince McMahon, like the, at the start, he went for the quick count, but then, you know, Austin and Vince Mc, uh, and the Undertaker kind of put it on him. But every time Vince would go for a pin, Undertaker would be hovering around them, especially when they were outside of the ring. And he would just give Vince the death glare and Vince would, you know, like look at Taker in fear. And yeah. What's really cool is so Austin goes and gives Vince the double bird. And as he's doing that, Vince is sort of like, like laser focused on Austin. But Dude Love comes with a chair at Austin's head. Austin dodges out of the way and Dude smacks Vince smack bang flush you want to talk about vicious chair shots no one took a more vicious chair shot than Vince McMahon um he goes down like a sack of potatoes and then all hell breaks loose because you get a mandible claw put in that's reversed into a stunner and then the stooges get involved so Pat Patterson goes to count the pin very awkwardly climbs into the ring as well did you notice that yeah uh, then Taker gets involved, drags Patterson out of the ring. Briscoe then goes does the same thing. Also, you'd think for guys that that have wrestled for so long, they'd know how to slide back into the ring. <laughs> but no, they sort of try to climb in over the bottom rope, which then gets them all tangled up. It looks comedic, I guess. So It might have been a, a comedic choice. Yeah, and because it has them with like a leg snag <laughs> over. So, uh, so. Taker really didn't have to do much work here. Taker dragged Patterson and Briscoe both out of the ring. So the crowd is going absolutely bonkers. Eventually, Vince, um, Austin drags Vince over and gets Vince's hand and counts the pin himself, the one, two, three, which is such good storytelling. Absolutely. Like he said, by my hand only. He said on a pinfall or a submission, by my hand only. So Austin counted the pin with Vince's hand only to a ridiculous ovation. This ending, like it didn't even do it justice. You have to watch the ending, how they pulled this off, how it all comes together and how it all builds to that pinfall because this was amazing. Like this match is whatever, call it five stars, whatever you want. This is an all-time classic that kind of gets forgotten because of the matches both men would continue to have with other people. But I don't, yeah, I can't even think about the ending and try and like make how they mapped it out and said, we're going to pull it off timing wise with the chair shots and Undertaker doesn't just drag the Stooges out of the ring. He chokeslams each guy through an announce table. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention that. This match is just building and building to one of the wildest endings you'll see on a pay-per-view up to this point. And they pulled it off perfectly. And, you know, if you ever had any doubts or maybe you didn't live through this and you thought, ah, what was the big deal with all this Austin and McMahon stuff? This match is a great sort of reflection of that feud in a nutshell. So good. Very, very much there, man. I can tell you that. And this is such a fun pay-per-view. And look, we, we did mention it throughout the recap here that there weren't like great matches. There weren't good matches. But the thing is, everything was entertaining. Like, and that's sort of what WWF pay-per-views were back in that era. Everything sort of built up gradually. It was just, you were there. You were sold on the main event. Who cares? Everything else was filler. If you got a good match out of it, that's a bonus. But you're there for the main event. And maybe the undercard as well, like the semi-man event uh, beforehand. But it was just a great pay-per-view. 
I, I still have great, like it took me back so much watching this because it's an era that I remember so vividly. But what about yourself, Simon? What did you think of this one? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, I've been a pretty much a WWF kind of cheerleader throughout this whole run. I got to say, this had a pretty weak first half, but yep. the last hour between Kane and Vader, the, the DX First Nation six-man, and then the main event, absolutely worth watching. Each of those matches built onto each other, and it was a lot of fun, and the main event is an absolute must-watch. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, as always, we always give out an MVP award. We'll start off with you, Simon. Who did you think gets the uh, award for MVP at Over the oh. Edge? This is a tough one. Of course, Mick Foley and Steve Austin absolutely killed it. Um, maybe Vince McMahon for his first true heel performance here. Yep. Because, you know, he's not just sitting on the outside like last month. He's involved and he's so good at, you know, being the cartoony boss villain. I'm going to agree with you there, Vince McMahon. There's, there's some strong um, sort of, uh, you could argue The Rock as well because he has a... a a little mini story within this, but that sort of starts and finishes with the intercontinental thing. But the fact that the evilness of Mr. McMahon threaded through the entire pay-per-view from the minute that video package starts talking about Mr. McMahon's utopia to the ending, it's just all, how is Vince going to screw Stone Cold Steve Austin? So a really, really good pay-per-view. Go out of your way to see at least the last hour. Definitely, definitely track down and watch the uh, main event because it's an underrated classic. We always, it, it's often mentioned in lots of people's list of, uh, you know, uh, like Mick Foley matches that you might have missed. Like, it's definitely one that's overlooked purely because these two would go on to have greater matches. In fact, Mankind's match, the match that defines Mick Foley is the next pay-per-view. So... <laughs> So we've all got to uh, check that one out. But yeah, do yourself a favor. Check out at least the last hour of Over the Edge 1998. But Simon, we've got another WCW run coming up next. It is WCW Slamboree, which is... The biggest uh... match of all time. (laughs) And this pay-per-view is going to change wrestling history. That's what the ad said. So I'm keeping my expectations high. They better live up to it. Now, this is also the first WCW pay-per-view where we see the NWO splintered Wolfpack and Hollywood. So this is something that's very, it's it's going to be good to see. So we will check that one out. But uh, we will catch you next time on another big edition of Reliving the War. Greywolfentertainment.net is where you could find all of our back catalog. GreywolfENT on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For Simon Tackler, I've been Nims Azor. We'll see you next time for Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.